I'll do my bit. I'm very, we're very honoured to have been asked to give our testimony of our journey through Harney's cancer. Um, but before we go through that time, I thought we'd briefly mention about how God taught us to trust him during another battle in our lives which consumed a lot of our energy uh, to find a solution. It starts quite a few years before Harney came along and before her cancer. Um, it was, we hadn't been married quite two years in March 1989 when um, Mark had had a job for six months after walking the floors in the Queensland Art Gallery. He got a different job, better job, but he lost it after six months. And um, that began a time of unemployment um, and basically to the end of 2000, um, he was mostly unemployed apart from one year. Uh, when he, from March to December 1999, which was the year Honey was born, he had full-time work. Um, but apart from that, it was just a bit here and a bit there, a bit of casual work. And we weren't even Christians at that time. And that took another five years before that happened. And you can imagine that Mark's confidence and his self-esteem were got really low, like lower and lower. And he, he couldn't find another job, so he wasn't really cut out for working in an office. So I suggested that as he had music qualifications, and that was the thing that he was best at, that maybe he should do teaching. And um, he... Um, so he, in 1990, he studied a graduate diploma of education, got all credits and distinctions, worked really hard. But then um, at the end of that year, he had to have an audition, um, an interview with the Department of Education. The woman who interviewed him, she wasn't a really nice person, I don't think, but she deliberately lost his application. Um, because he, he really didn't want to go to the far reaches of the state wherever they wanted to send him because I had a job in Brisbane. Um, the student-teacher ratio had also changed and so there were less jobs. And at that, when you've got no um, experience, it's very hard to get a job in a private school. So after another year of being unemployed, he did more study and... Uh, it's a postgraduate degree in educational studies. He got occasional supply teaching work, but it wasn't usually music. In 1993, we moved from Ipswich to Caboolture, where we bought a little house with the help of our parents. In 1994, out of the blue, he was asked to audition for Opera Queensland by a pianist we know, knew from our conservatorium days. And finally, he got a foot in the door singing opera. He'd been unsuccessful at an audition with Opera Australia in Sydney in 1989. And it wasn't until he had that audition at Opera Queensland that he found out that it wasn't, that he wasn't good enough, that he missed out. It was because we came from Queensland. So the, the Queensland <laughs> blues maroons is alive and well. <laughs> We um, became Christians not long after that in 1994. And we thought if we wanted uh, children, as I wasn't getting any younger, we uh, should do it now. So 
you know, we sort of, being Christians, started to sort of have a bit more faith. And so I actually fell pregnant the first time we tried. But then I had a miscarriage where I was really sick with the flu. And it was about another 15 months after quite some difficulties that um, I found myself pregnant. But it wasn't until, like, one day I remember walking to work. I used to spend a lot of time talking to God on my way to work because I used to travel from Bullshit to um, the Valley and the Royal Business Hospital. And I said to him, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I just can't worry about this anymore. Well, five weeks later, I was pregnant. Um, and then while deep down we wanted another child, we really thought it was way too late. I was 41 when I had Joachim. Um, in uh, 1996. But then we've gone out other ideas. I found myself pregnant in October 98. I was upset and worried about the baby for obvious reasons because I was 43. And the morning after I realised that I was pregnant, I was talking to God again on my way to work, walking up Hurston Road. And I got to the, I remember getting to the front of the building where I worked, and God said to me, This was what He wanted, and the baby would be fine. And, of course, she was fine. Of course, we're very blessed and couldn't imagine life without Harney. And I found a, a testimony of Mark's that he gave in 2000 when we were water baptised that he had five weeks full-time work at the end of 97 in music. And then he worked most of 99, as I already mentioned, also music. And that sort of covered us for some of my maternity leave. I only had six months off the first time, and the second time I had a year. And when I went back to work in May that year, I really wanted to be at home with the children, but of course I didn't have a choice. And um, I used to spend my time on the train, as I said, reading the Bible and praying. And one morning just after I got back to work, God said to me, Mark, we'll get some work soon, which will lead to full-time work and it would lead to a permanent job. He was offered a music teacher contract two days a week at Morayfield State School in August 2000. And then that took to the end of the year. And then the following year, he had that as, as well as three days a week at Beachmere State School. So in 2001, he worked full-time. It was only a contract, but he worked full-time. And then in early December 2001, he got an interview at Rivermount College, a private school in Yatla, which led to a contract for a year as a primary music teacher. But we were so sure that it would become permanent, we sold our house in Kabulsha, as it wasn't going to be financially worthwhile keeping it, and we moved to Bean Lee. And Mark is now in his 17th year at that school. So it's kind of gone into the distance a bit over that time. So this time, 15 years ago, which was, it was only a year after we moved to Beanley that Harney got sick. We'd only been there a year. We didn't know many people. Um, we were in a church, but, you know, it takes time to make friends. And So 15 years ago, we were in the greatest battle of our lives. Harney, who was three and a half at the time, had been diagnosed with rhabdomyosarcoma on the 3rd of February 2003. Um, we started January 1, she had a sore ear and 
you know, I went to the doctor the next day and he gave her antibiotics. He said, you know, he couldn't read the, the, the left ear, um, had some gunk in it and he couldn't really see much. The other ear was a bit red, so after a couple of days she was still crying every time she ate anything. So I uh, went back and he gave me some drops for what he thought might have been a tropical ear infection because, as I said, this had gunk in it. And um, another couple of days I went back again and said, no, it's, she's still crying. And um, so he sent us to the Namada Children's Hospital to see an ENT uh, people. And they said, well, there's some foreign body in there, can't really see very well. We'll have a, put her under an anaesthetic and have a look. So she had polyps in her ear. They were, turned out to be benign. Um, but her ear canal didn't look normal. It was, sort of had this big bulge in it. And they, of course they thought it was probably fluid or something, pressing. So they were trying to, um, we went back the next week and they were trying to get her on a CT scan list because you have to have an anaesthetic when you're three and a half years old. And um, by the next week, on the, was the 31st of January, I can remember the date, I was at home at lunchtime and asked her what she wanted to eat. And I was mostly giving her noodles that I could chop up really small. And um, I looked at her and her face looked really strange. And like her left eye didn't close and she was crying and, and her, the left side of her mouth was down. So she had one eye open and this side of her mouth was down. So you can imagine she looked rather funny, uh, lopsided. And um, I thought, gosh, I'm sure she didn't look like that before. I actually got a photo from Christmas and thought, no, she didn't look like that before. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I rang a friend and she said, no, I don't think you're being neurotic. Just ring the doctors because I'd already paged him that week because they'd given me the wrong appointment. And um, so I rang the hospital and left a message for the doctor and um, we lay down, tried to have a sleep and um, at four o'clock I thought uh, I'll try again, if I can't get them I'll go to the GP. So it was um, at four o'clock I, I got him and he said, oh I don't like the sound of that, you better come in to emergency. So had to pick Mark and yock him up from school. We only had one car until like nine years ago. So I picked him up and we went to Marta in Brisbane on this Friday afternoon. And um, they were um, trying to get a, organise a CT scan immediately. And it was nine o'clock at night before we had it. Um, and she would like, they put a cannula in her hand to put the, you know, the anaesthetic in. And she, every time we had one of those or any time they did anything to her, she screamed and took five people to hold her down for anything like that for the whole, most of the time, certainly the early part of her treatment. And um, friends of ours from uh, Birkengary Church, where we used to go, came down and stayed with us. And then... Um, when Mark, uh, Mark walked with her to the, um, or went with her to go to, for the CT scan, we had to go to the adult hospital, I think. 
and he was in the corridor outside and uh, waiting for her to come out and he heard this voice and it said, she is my child and she will be fine. Excuse me. Um, I'm usually fine, but just anyway. Um, these, these friends, they stayed with us for hours. They prayed with us. The wife, Jo, she was my mentor from when we first got um, water baptised. God, She felt God wanted her to mentor me. I was very fortunate, wonderful lady. She uh, does some amazing preaching. Um, anyway, the next day, uh, we, they admitted us. The next day we had an MRI and then a biopsy. So there was some... Um, three general anaesthetics in less than 24 hours. Um, I was sleeping at the hospital the next night, or trying, and God said to me also that Harney would be fine. So we had a week of tests and to make sure the cancer hadn't spread anywhere else. And then we started chemo on the, the Saturday where we would spend three days in hospital every three weeks. And uh, although the first um, three weeks, I, don't, I think we hardly went home, but you just feel numb and shell-shocked at first and it's hard to take in that it's not just a bad dream. Um, that was like a week, that was Christmas 2002, so a week before she started complaining about her sore ear. And then, and this is what she looked like at the first chemo. I've lost my faith. Um, yeah. Yeah, down here. So there were literally hundreds of people praying for Hani all over the world. And an evangelical pastor from the US was visiting our old church in Burpengary. And the pastor from there organised for him to come down to the church we were attending in Ben Lee to preach on a Sunday evening. It was in uh, March, I think. And um, our friends minded the children at home and the uh, pastor um, prayed over Mark and I standing in for Hani. And he did feel that something happened that night. She had a scan a week or two later and the tumour had shrunk to less than half the original size. It was originally five by one and a half centimetres between the mastoid bone and the ear canal. Five, and I measured it. Five centimetres is the size of a cricket ball. Wow. Five in, centimetres is the size here. of a cricket ball. So the treatment continued. It was normal to need blood and platelet transfusions as the bone marrow starts to struggle to keep the levels up. Harney had one blood transfusion in early April when she started on um, before she started on natural products, and we were told that they would help. These products would help. Body, Hani's body fight the cancer and help her body cope with the treatment. She never had another blood transfusion or any platelet transfusions at all. I was in the playground and this lady who I've never seen and I have never seen since came up to me and said, you are Mark Croon? I said, yes. She said to me, your daughter's got cancer. Yes. She stuck a piece of paper in my hand and said, research it, make your own life. Um, my mother-in-law got a similar message around the same time. 
From a friend, yeah. And a Christian friend. Fortunately, my wife's sister is a research scientist. Mm. And so she did the research and he went from there. The faithfulness, and it comes from the US, they would not ship it here, we couldn't get it to here. But the faithfulness of people from all around this nation who changed their holiday plans and were prepared to put this stuff in their baggage and take it through customs was just incredible because we couldn't have done it without them. Well, we could buy it here, but um, we couldn't get the... We were getting it for, like, almost nothing, just a donation kind of thing. Um, and that was had to come from the States. Anyway, um, the medical team were discussing in May whether they should operate to remove the tumour or not. As you can imagine, there's a lot of nerves and muscles that control the face and eating and lots of stuff in there. And the fact that it had shrunk so much and her face was improving, they decided not to operate. The day they told me about the hole that would leave inside her head, permanently deaf and disfigured, on that side, I just lost it. Then my friend Joe, who lived in the rain bar, dropped everything and ran to my aid. Mark was at school with no car to get there, but one of the teachers brought him later in the afternoon. Quite a few years later, I met a young woman who'd had such an operation and she was left permanently disfigured where her eye didn't close and one side of her mouth didn't move. If you can't blink, your eye is dry all the time. It just highlighted to me how fortunate we were that God protected Honey and that she hadn't had that operation. I mean, she endured bullying at school at times anyway, even without that disfigurement. Uh, I found a paragraph from a testimony that I gave in April 2003 at our old church in Birmingham, and I, I just thought I'd read it because it gives a bit of detail of what we were doing at the time, and I wouldn't have remembered it now. It said, God has been so good to us, especially in this time. As Joe said a couple of weeks ago, how she watched Honey's face get worse and worse in the first week before the chemo started, but less than four years, weeks later, it was 60 to 70% improved. The Lord has given me strength that keeps, just keeps amazing me. After the first two and a half weeks, when I had only had two days at home and a few nights, Honey had an infection in her central line. We had been there all weekend, the third in a row, and on the Monday, I was getting the impression the doctors expected me to keep coming every day the rest of the week. I went home that night and cried out to God, please do something. We need some normalcy for a while. Joachim needed more, more of me. He was really struggling and he wouldn't talk about how he was feeling. He was um, seven, I think, or six and a half. Um, the next day, they decided that the home care nurse could come out for two day, the next two days, providing Hani didn't need a platelet transfusion. They'd taken blood for tests each day. So on the way home, I prayed for a miraculous recovery of her accounts, especially the platelets and neutrophils. Neutrophils is part of the white blood cells, um, helps your immune system. That day, they didn't get a result from the platelets. I thought this was most amusing. Obviously, God was doing something, giving me a bit more time. The nurse came out the next day and took more blood 
Her platelets had gone from 87 to 402. Higher than they were before we started the chemo. By wow. the end of the week, her platelets were 596. Her neutrophils had gone from zero to 7.34, both almost double what they were at the start. This gave us a week off before the next cycle of chemo. The doc doctors were amazed at how well she was doing. Even last weekend, before the third cycle of chemo, it must have been the end of March, uh, finished, her counts were amazingly good. Neutrophils 1.1 on Thursday to 5 on Sunday. Compared to the previous cycle, they were excellent. God was really answering her, our prayers. Even her haemoglobin had improved. However, Honey had the blood transfusion I men mentioned before, but she never had any others after that, which is like highly unusual. I was a bit disappointed about the blood transfusion, and but I said that God just said to trust me. Harney was running around. She was actually put on weight after losing a kilo in the first cycle. God was taken, taken away pain in my lower back after spending a night in the parents' lounge on the couch. He helped me sleep in a communal room where previously wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep in that situation. I just wouldn't be able to get to sleep. And I asked for sleep no matter what happened during the night. God has shown me many times that he's faithful, that he is the healer. He is the same yesterday, today and always. He told me Harney will be fine. And he's and God, um, Harney will tell you what I said at the time. Harney will tell you that God is making her better. The five weeks of radiation in August, September was probably the most difficult time as we had to drive to Brisbane at 6.30am in peak hour traffic five days a week. We had the loan of a car so Mark could get himself and Joachim to school and we'd just pick Harney up out of her bed in her pyjamas and put her in the car. And she wasn't allowed to eat anything so we didn't sort of want her to start complaining about being hungry. The chemo continued during this time as well. And... Um, she didn't come out of anaesthetic very well and we had to wake, let her wake up in her own time. Otherwise, she would just throw herself around like... <sighs> we talked about it a few times since because she had um, MRIs going going every so often until she was old enough to not need the anaesthetic, which was probably about six. So They would, they would give her a sedative? Oh, they did, only did that once. <laughs> and it had a rather adverse... Midazolam, if you've ever heard of midazolam. Um, and the doctor said it was in 1% of people, it has a reverse reaction. So. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it was so stressful every time we had an anaesthetic. Um, and we had... I think 50 or 60 during the eight months. And then, because we still had them every time she needed a scan. Initially, after treatment, it was like every three months, and then it got to six months. And then it was every year, till, I, till the five years was up, basically. But she didn't need them anaesthetic once she was old enough to lie still. So, and one day I remember, she put on a big turn 
I couldn't get her dressed. She wouldn't have her breakfast that I always took for her to have afterwards. When we finally got in the car, she started throwing herself around in the back of the car. And I was sitting in the car park, wondering what on earth I was going to do, worried about driving. And I rang my friend Jo, and she prayed, and she invited us to join her grandchildren at a play centre in North Lakes on the north side of Brisbane. So I drove over there and spent a lovely day with them. Just distraction, take your mind off the problems. I think she just had enough. You know, the radiation was just terrible. But to actually get her to go in there before we started the radiation, the anaesthetist technician um, started trying to build a relationship with her because I remember we went for the x-rays as they were leading up to this and she was, we were walking down the corridor and she was screaming, Mark was holding her and she was trying to climb out of his arms. And um, they said, what's going on? Every time you do anything, even if it's just an x-ray, this is what she does. And um, they said, oh, well, we can't have that. We'll have to do some occupational therapy, try and help her to cope and not be so scared. So they did do that. They had, they took her there and she, um, one of the occupational therapists worked with her a bit. And the anaesthetist technician started, he had, um, bubbles to... When water bubble machine. Yeah, bubbles to blow. We used to play games running all around the... And blow bubbles. <laughs> and that was how they got her to um, go in there. Uh, initially I would walk in with her, but um, he would have the bubbles and she'd be distracted and they'd just walk in. And eventually I didn't even need to go. Um, and I'd just stay in the waiting room. Um, most people would find it difficult supporting someone, having a difficult time over an extended period of time. Most people sort of help you in the beginning, but then they sort of drop away. It's just the natural thing. People are busy. And, and Joe and Steve and my best friend Jillian were really there all the way through. Um, our parents weren't young and they not really close. My mum and dad lived at Mount Tambourine and Mark's parents lived in Redcliffe. And um, but mum would do my ironing and she'd make a meal for us and and I know Hani and I enjoyed visiting Mount Tambourine when we um, had time, you know, weeks where we didn't have to go to the hospital. We'd spend the day with them and have lots of happy memories. I don't have my parents now, so um, mum died ten years ago and dad about eighteen months or so ago, and you know it was just I have a lot of memories of that time. Um, but during the radiation, the parents and friends at Mark's school suddenly asked how we were going and could they help in any way. The result was meals for most nights of the week, the cleaning lady from school cleaned our house several times for free and a parent mowed the yard for us. We were just blown away by their generosity and Mark had only been at the school for a year or so. And that, I think I wasn't at school weeks. Oh, weeks. And I was in and out, in and out, and that whole time, that whole year was never time that I was in and out. That never got me to take pay. Never took any sick leave even, unless it was actually sick, but I don't think it was. And many blessings came from that time. New friends, a resilience that you don't know where you got it from. So much support.
Harney was showered with gifts. She's still got a lot of stuffed toys on her bed that were given to her during that time. Even a make-a-wish holiday to Adelaide for a week and we uh, went to a High Five concert and we got to meet High Five. That was in, that was in January 2004 after all the treatment had finished. I'd struggled for years to believe in my heart that God really loved me, that he cared about my life, my family, to have total confidence that he is in control and that he always there even when it might seem that he's not. I remember feeling like God was holding my hand the whole time. It was like I walked 10 feet above reality, keeping an upbeat outlook, especially in front of Harney. It had to be like this, you know, like it was normal. Um, even though it wasn't. We will, get, we will get through it. It took about six months to come down from this 10 feet above reality after treatment finished and I started having flashbacks and basically had PTSD. And after struggling with it for six months and feeling like I wasn't coping emotionally, I was at a Christian seminar one weekend and I went out for prayer and I haven't had it since. Um, and I heard a, a song early in 2003 on a Graham Cook tape. I don't know if you've heard of Graham Cook, but he's an overseas minister, um, quite well known. Um, it was a tape, uh, a song that God had sung to a man who was almost suicidal. And it was called, I Will Always Love You. So I found the words, believe it or not. Um, I loved you long before you met me. And then you gave me your life to me. You gave your life to me. But should one day you turn and walk away, I will always love you. My love will never cease towards you. But should I have a change of heart, it is because my heart has ceased to beat. I will always love you. When all around you seems like darkness, when you have plunged right to the depths, no pit has, is so deep. I am not deeper still. I will always love you. And when the day has almost ended, when evening comes and walls you in, when there's no one else to comfort you, I will always love you. Here are my arms for you to cling to. Here are my wings where you can hide. Here are the tears that I have cried for you. I will always love you. My love is constant as the sunrise, as changeless as the stars at night. My child, as sure as there's a turning tide, I will always love you. And um, I, Graham Cook had some words which I thought were really good. God is like the sun. The sun is always there, even if it is hidden behind the clouds. We still know that it is there. Even if God sometimes seems hidden, he is always there with us. And there was a, um, a little testimony from very fairly recent um, Afani, I don't know if she wants to tell her about your teeth. No, yes. This was only last year, I think. She had a sleep in the afternoon. basically I went for a nap. I had a nightmare about losing all my teeth. They all fell out or something. And I woke up, I just got this image in my head of my teeth that were straight because of the disfigurement on my face, the jaw on the side, sort of, the teeth sort of tilted inwards. 
And I sort of went to the mirror in the bathroom, I looked at it, and they were almost fully properly straight. Wow. Oh, so they looked awesome. Her, her teeth, well, I hadn't ever, like, one, not long before that, she'd asked me, to look, um, look in her mouth about something. And I was shocked to find that her teeth were like virtually horizontal on the left, on the bottom. And I thought, oh, well, I didn't say too much. I thought, well, there's nothing I can do about it. But then this happened last year. Wow. And so now her teeth are standing straight. So I'm sure it's much easier to chew. <laughs> <laughs> So that was um, beginning of 2004 when she, she started preschool the year after her treatment. Her treatment finished in September. They took the central line out in October because she got a, uh, an infection and usually those kind of things, they go, start, the body starts to shut down like they have to, um, Toxins, they shut down within 20-30 seconds. You know, like a toxic shock sort of thing. And Honey had a bit of a fever. And it was like 38. And we, you know, they always warned us if, when you had a central line to go in there um, straight away because it could be something really serious. Well, they took the, did a blood test and it was, i uh, forgotten the name of this. <coughs> Um, bacteria that the infection that they were really fearful of, green something, um, that was what it was. But her body was fighting it, and it, you know her fever was only like a little bit up. But they go to the antibiotics, and but yeah, yeah I've we've seen kids. We were, I remember being in, in the hospital once when one kid was like that, and wow, everybody ran. And I just was so glad that didn't happen to us. Well, Pam leaves out the fact that we took her off there, they did a blood test, and the results didn't show much, but they had to do a few more tests, but they didn't want to keep us there any later than we were, so they sent us home. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. We walked in the door, we only just got Harney in the bed, we were just getting into bed ourselves, and the oh, phone rang. <laughs> Pam was exhausted, Pam was like, and they said to us, look, can you get her back here ASAP, she has grand staph infection, we get her back here, out. And I just picked Carly up, put her in the car, and I flew. I just said, I can't do it, I just flew. I just flew, again, how I missed, they asked how I missed getting speeding tickets, losing my license, I can't tell you. But I went from um, Beeley, to not a hospital in 15 minutes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, at the end of the radiation, I had trouble with high blood pressure. It was 160 over 100 and uh, after the stress, and I suppose. And um, the doctor watched me for a month and he said, I'll have to give you medication. And um, so this incident was sort of less than a month after the treatment finished, I think. So it's probably partly why I just couldn't do it myself. Um, but I, I've been on medication ever since, basically. <coughs> um, so this this was um, oh, during the treatment.
treatment. I'm not sure this was my movie. This was July. Looking a bit better. Playing on the floor. I think that was when I was preparing for the radiation. And this was um, probably afterwards, later in the year. Joachim probably wouldn't forgive me if he'd seen that photo. And this uh, is Hani about November 2003 with a friend of ours. He had, um, poor kid, had um, aplastic anemia. We still know them, they're in Melbourne. Yeah, I'm showing you one, Hani. This is Hani. First day of preschool. When you Where go back to the second photo and see the way her face was, yeah. what it is there. And this was May 2004, I think. Um, we were visiting Micah and his family, and her hair was starting to come back. <laughs> and this one was October 2004. She was doing dancing at preschool. And um, this was her costumes that she had. I don't know why she doesn't like the photo. She complained this morning when she realised I was going to show them. But this is a beautiful photo. And you can see her, her face looks like normal. And this was Christmas, or the end of November 2004, like their school carol concert. That was, you know, that's it. I think Mark's got a song for you that he wrote at the end of 2003. At the end of an enormous year, which tested and grew our faith beyond comprehension, to be spending Christmas with my daughter sitting on the floor was just a feeling that really I can't explain. It was more precious to me to have her alive in front of me. But the realisation came to me that if God had not sacrificed and gave us the gift of Jesus Christ and that he sacrificed him for us, that she wouldn't be there. And to be the only child in the world to have what she had where she had it and only the third child in the world to survive it. Was just... At the song I wrote, I simply called God's Gift, and I'm not a songwriter. I don't claim to be a songwriter. I wrote what was in my heart. And my daughter was God's gift to me.
discussions on, on faith, I've constantly made the point that we don't have faith in the promises of God, we actually have faith in God Himself, because as we build relationship with Him, we come to trust Him. And uh, Pam took a few minutes before she actually got into the testimony about Harney, talking about their experience over 11 years while... Mark was actually looking for, for a job because in that period of time 
they came to trust God. So that when that big, big trial came, a trial, actually a life and death trial, they already had trust in God. And when they heard that word, that she will be okay, they were actually able to believe the word because they trusted their God. And I just wonder, would the three of you be okay if you just came out the front and we prayed over you? Because they've got a, life, a lot of life in them yet, haven't they? Amen. And I'm just so grateful that they've had the courage to stand up. And this brings back memories of very, very hard times and, and uncertainties. But here we are, we've got these three precious ones standing before us today with a testimony that touches hearts. So could you just join with me and pray for Mark and Pamela and Harney? Yes. I just mentioned that the reason that Harney's face is a bit smaller on the left side is because the radiation stunts the growth of the bones in a child. Um, and that side of her face has been very slow, like the teeth were slow, everything was slow. Um, so I'm, I know Harney would dearly love that side of her face to catch up with the other side. So please keep her in your prayers. Yeah. Well, I think we should pray for that right now, shouldn't we? So um, thank you again so much for sharing with us this morning. And we just want to pray for the rest of your lives. We want to pray God's blessing on you. We thank you for what you sow into the life of Ignite Life Church. We pray now, Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, that you'd minister to Mark, Lord God, that you'd minister to Hani, and that you'd minister to Pam and Joachim, who's not with us today. Our Heavenly Father, we honour you and we thank you for this testimony of your faithfulness, for this testimony of faith in you and belief in your promises. And Father, we just simply stand right now with this family and we pray, Heavenly Father, more miraculous, creative miracles for Hani. Lord, we've heard from her own lips the testimony of how you creatively worked a miracle in her teeth. And Heavenly Father, we pray right now for every bone that is not yet fully matured, Lord God, that you would miraculously, creatively put it right. And Heavenly Father, we declare over Hani today that she is whole, She's perfectly and permanently healed because of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, her Lord. And Heavenly Father, we look forward to good reports in the future. This testimony is not finished yet and will touch thousands, nay hundreds of thousands around the world.